Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From Pineapple Street Studios, it's the 11th. I'm Lena Masitsis. I make radio and I'm a writer. And this month, I've got one little story for you, something small, about how kid brains understand grown-up concepts, which, by the way, includes some subject matter that may not be appropriate for kids. This is not a bedtime story exactly, but it is a story about bedtime, about saying goodnight. Remember those book fairs in elementary school, where instead of learning stuff, the whole class would go to the cafeteria and browse books for sale— Stuff like Goosebumps, The Babysitter's Club. In 1998, I made the only book fair purchase I still remember. It was called Leonardo DiCaprio, Romantic Hero. And as far as biographies of 24-year-olds written for children go, Leonardo DiCaprio, Romantic Hero, is incredible. They dedicated an entire chapter to his numerology. Leo is a seven, which means he's both spiritual and analytical. And best of all, The book included a P.O. Box address for fans, and I had something I was desperate to tell him. There's this scene in Titanic, that's the one about the boat that sinks. Leo, who plays a third-class passenger, is invited to the first-class saloon for dinner. Everyone can tell that he's poor, but he's got this crush on Kate Winslet, who's rich, and so Leo does his best impression of someone who also has money. When Kate arrives for dinner, dressed in a bejeweled floor-length gown and white gloves, Leo bows, takes one of her hands into his, and lightly kisses it. I saw that in the Nickelodeon once, and I always wanted to do it. (laughs) He saw that on Nickelodeon? Nickelodeon, a TV channel for kids? TV didn't even exist in 1912, let alone children's TV networks for premium cable subscribers. I hated that for Leo, knowing that he said something so stupid on film. But I loved it for me, because it meant that I, Lena Misitsis, a nine-year-old, was going to set him straight. I wrote him a letter to his P.O. box, explaining everything. What Nickelodeon is, when TV was invented, when the Titanic sank, and then, for months, I'd run home to our mailbox every day, right after school, eager for Leo's reply. But he never wrote back. This behavior was not anomalous. I really liked catching grown-ups' mistakes and letting them know. A few years later, when I was 11, The Cider House Rules came out. It's a movie about an orphanage in New England run by Michael Caine. And there's this line he repeats throughout the movie every night after reading the boy orphans a story and turning out the lights. That's it. 
Till tomorrow. Michael Caine turns back to them and says, Good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England. At first, I really loved that line, how grand it was, how stark it sounded beside regular talk. And for years, I'd drop it into my own conversations or texts or emails, kind of mindlessly, because I had it filed away as something funny but nice that you say to people you love. But then in 2017, when my neighbor Matt agreed to sign for my Amazon package while I was out of town, and I texted him back to say, thank you, Matt, you prince of Maine and king of New England, that's when it hit me. That Michael Caine line, it makes no sense. Hear me out. New England is made up of six states, and Maine is one of them. If the boys are kings of New England, which includes Maine, then they're kings of Maine. It's bothered me ever since. How come something so nice was written so wrong? But then, a few weeks ago, it occurred to me that I could just ask Michael Caine. Or try to, anyway. There's no book I could find called Michael Caine, Romantic Hero, with the P.O. box listed. I did find his film rep, though, who wrote me back. No punctuation, just a single line. You should ask the author. The author, John Irving, he's in his 80s. I could not find an email address for him, but I did get in touch with his wife, who offered to pass along my question. I kept it short. I did not accuse him of being wrong. Just, I asked if he could clarify. And I was careful to apologize for bothering him with something so small. And this time, it worked. John Irving wrote me back. Not only that, he praised me for noticing. This is a good question, he wrote. That's my favorite part, so I'm going to say it again. This is a good question, he wrote. I've always wondered why no one has asked me this before. The questions I'm usually asked about the Cider House rules are focused on the abortion issue. What does he mean, abortion issue? A few days later, I sat down to watch the Cider House rules for the first time in 20 years. And I'll tell ya, this movie I've been describing as, quote, about an orphanage in New England run by Michael Caine is mostly not what the Cider House rules is about. There is an orphanage. Michael Caine does run it. But it doubles as a hospital for pregnant women who aren't able to keep their newborns. And Michael Caine doubles as an obstetrician named Dr. Larch, who delivers those babies. More importantly, Dr. Larch performs abortions. That part's a secret. Do I interfere when absolutely helpless women tell me they simply can't have an abortion? That they simply must go through with having another and yet another orphan? I do not. I do not even recommend. I just give them what they want. The main character isn't Dr. Larch. It's an orphan named Homer, played by Tobey Maguire. Homer was never adopted, and so the orphanage is where he grows up. He becomes a kind of son to Dr. Larch. And as he grows, Dr. Larch trains him to deliver babies and to perform abortions. But Homer's feelings about abortion are deeply ambivalent. Homer, if you expect people to be responsible for their children, you have to give them the right to decide whether or not to have children. Wouldn't you agree? How about expecting people to be responsible enough to control themselves to begin with? There's a lot of movie I haven't told you about. Never mind how much movie flew over my 11-year-old head. 
All of the milestones you'd expect in a story about a boy becoming a man are there. Homer leaves the orphanage in search of something bigger. He learns sweeping lessons about inequality, about how race and sex and class have a lot more say in what happens to us than we do. Towards the end of the movie, a woman played by Erica Badu gets pregnant. The word rape is not used, but it's implied. Homer cares about her, and as a result, his ambivalence about abortion changes. He offers to perform one for her, not because it'll fix anything, It won't turn back time. I would not call it heartwarming. Very little of the movie is. And there I leave it. At the end of his odyssey, Homer returns to the orphanage. What's for so many others a stopgap is, for him, home. Just he needed to leave before knowing that. He needed to be there by choice. In the last scene, Homer reads the boys to sleep, like Dr. Larch once did for him. Good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England. (laughs) Look, I have no idea how after such a miserable story, what 11-year-old me took away from it all was princes and kings. I went back to the letter I sent John Irving about how there's no way a king of New England can also be a prince of Maine, which, again, he did call a good question. But it was the rest of his note that really mattered. Yeah, I noticed the right line, but I didn't really get it. Here's the rest of what he said. The high expectations Dr. Larch gives to the boys at their bedtime certainly sounds unrealistic for orphans in their situation. That's the point of it. For the boys to imagine themselves as princes of Maine or kings of New England is fairy tale stuff. The boys at the orphanage deserve to have the highest hopes for themselves, namely that they have within them the necessary fortitude to become kings of New England. A prince of Maine, if there ever were one, might dare to dream that he could be king of New England one day, the next step in an imaginary life. It's a fairy tale ending. Last month, John Irving celebrated his 80th birthday. And the last thing he told me is that the words Princes of Maine, Kings of New England, are tattooed to his right arm. I think my kid brain heard that line from the movie just as the boys were meant to hear it, as a challenge to dream big tonight, even bigger tomorrow, not because those dreams are within reach, just it wasn't time yet to learn that they're not. By the way, I did eventually learn that, in addition to being a TV channel, Nickelodeons were also a kind of movie theater in the early 1900s. Tickets cost five cents, a nickel. And for that, I would like to extend an apology to Leonardo DiCaprio. Though, I don't know, I still think he should have written me back. This episode of The 11th was written and produced by me, Lena Masitsis. Editing by Leela Day. Editing and production support from Eric Menel, Chloe Prasinos, and Kristen Torres. 
Asha Saluja is our senior managing producer. Our executive producers are Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Mixing by Hannes Brown. Visuals and marketing by Grace Chen, Moira Curran, Hadim Dang, Court Courtney, and Meredith Rice. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson de Rocher and Crystal Tupja at Odyssey. Episode art by Jonathan Conda. Recording at Dubway West Studio in sunny downtown Los Angeles. Thanks to Janet Turnbull for taking my fan mail seriously. Thank you for listening to The 11th. We'll be back next month with something entirely new and entirely different. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University of Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University Maryland's forensic science programs today.